when I started at Middlebury, I took a, a one month long kind of workshop tutorial style of class called Mid Entrepreneurs. And I learned how to uh, create a five-year plan and look at what it is, you know, what problem are you solving with your idea. And my idea at this point was a couple years baked, but um, I hadn't worked on those kind of fundamentals and the, built the foundation for what a business can be. From Vermont Center for Emerging Technologies, it's Start Here, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. Today we sit down with Corinne Prevo, skier, mid-kid, founder of Skeeta, and one of Forbes' 30 Under 30 All-Stars of 2018. Welcome, this is Sam Roach-Gerber and Dave Bradbury, recording from the Consolidated Communications Tech Hub in downtown Burlington, Vermont. Hi, Corinne. Hello. Corinne, thanks for coming in on a powder day. It must kill you to be here. <laughs> yeah, we really owe Actually, you Actually, it kills one. me to be here, too. So. <laughs> How was your day yesterday? Uh, one of the deepest. One of sure. the deepest. It was one of the best says. days in Stowe that I can recall. I was mind blown. And it wasn't very crowded and stayed light and One of happy. those days you want to just keep going and when the lifts close... I, I wish our listeners could see the smiles on both of your faces right now. It's pretty priceless. Yeah. Well, at least people can't see me limping around the facility that's, uh, at the moment. That's but, true. Hey, let's get to the business stuff, though. Let's get to it. Because we got Skeeta in the house. Yes. Corinne, what is Skeeta? Tell us about your company. Skeeta is a line of Vermont-made headwear and accessories. We're ski-inspired. We're based in Burlington, Vermont. And we started making hats for Nordic skiing. And from there, we grew into other winter activities and um, new patterns, new product styles. And we've been in business now for 10 years. That's crazy. Does that feel crazy to say? 10 10 years? years? It's really nice to say. Very easy, but it's it's, uh, pretty remarkable for sure. It's been a pretty easy 10 years, right? (laughs) Super mellow. Yeah, super mellow, no stress. (laughs) I think Nordic skiing is like the hardest thing in the world, by the way. Just side note, it's so hard. Well, if you watched the Olympics uh, a few weeks ago, yeah. I mean, how cool was that that the gold medalist, Jesse and Keegan, had on your neckies during the interview? Like, I yeah. was pretty proud. I there, was that was lot awesome. of, there was a lot of skeeta in the Olympics this year between biathlon and the ski races. And Jesse and Keegan's win gave me shivers like every oh. time I watched it. Just it was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. It was really a great way to highlight the sport because you only really see it every four years or so. Right? I know it's re- Nordic skiing for me this year. I personally did it a little more this winter, um, and to kind of cope between different snow levels that we've been experiencing. But um, it's been really fun to get back into it, and physically, it's great, and it's so fun to be teaching new people the sport, and then to then go inside and watch the best women in the world that we've known for years through ski, the ski racing community take, you know, gold medals. It's, it's the coolest. Great. So you can teach me winter 2019. <laughs> you have four years before the next one. <laughs> I can do it. Yeah, Sam's an You heard it first here. Yeah. Um, so Corinne, you're a very creative person. Have you always wanted to start your own business and be an entrepreneur or did it kind of arise? Uh, definitely arose. I didn't really see it coming. <laughs> it just became, or it started as a 
an idea and small project and something that I could continue to work at. And, you know, all of a sudden it's 10 years later and still working at it (laughs) and the problems and challenges and um, things that are exciting just evolve and grow. And it's kind of the same, you know, same challenge in the sense that there's always something to do and there's always something to make it better. And it's pretty relentless that way. It's pretty crazy. I mean, something that started as sort of a fun project as a high school kid kind of turned into your career. Yeah, there's so much to learn from it and so much that I've been really lucky to learn on the spot and on the fly. And there's, I still, you don't know what you don't know. And I definitely believe in that and how, I don't know, I turn a corner and it's like, how did we ever get by without knowing this? Or how did we survive last year without a warehouse? How did we, it's like every little step you look back and you realize how much you didn't know. And it's also very rewarding to know that we're able to, grow and learn these things. Any particular areas that these things you didn't know are most frequent? Is it like the production side of things or inventory or is it sales or design? It's definitely all aspects. Um, Me personally as a designer I've learned a lot and that's probably been the field that I am the least kind of trained on but I've been able to learn a lot from working with other designers and um, really talented people um, to help carry and grow Skeeta from, um, you know, we were selling stock fabrics in the early days from Joanne Fabrics and the local craft store in Lindenville, Vermont, and now we're designing our own artwork and patterns and working with illustrators to realize these kind of artistic and visual designs onto fabric that are then made into hats and then worn on cross-country skiers. And do you think that's pretty far out? That's crazy. That's, I mean, going from that transition of just like, oh, I'm going to make hats with what's available and Mm -hmm. I like this one and this is close enough to dreaming something up and seeing it on someone's head. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. Is that the unique selling point, you think? Is it it your design or is it the the, the fabrics? The, like, why... Why are you so awesome at Skeeta? Like, what, what do you think the secret ingredient is? Well, I think it depends on who's receiving or looking at the, the product. A Nordic skier might say, I love Skeeta because of the technical qualities of the fabric, and they're very comfortable when you're breaking a sweat in the cold. And um, someone who's maybe more design or color inclined might like them for the patterns. Um, you know, someone from Vermont might really appreciate that they're stitched in Vermont right here. Um, there's a lot to love. It's been pretty fun to tell all the different stories behind it. Can you uh, go for, I mean, that's a perfect segue into, into Skeeta Vita and the sort of community that you've built around your products. Can you talk a little bit about that? That also has been growing as long as we've been in business. I remember starting a Facebook page when I was in high school and, um, started a website, had a blog. It was the internet and the connectivity has really helped to grow the brand um, and really share, you know, photos of people wearing the product, showing our new products as they come out. Um, There's just so much that the internet has done to help with the brand. And it's definitely, I've learned a lot and it's grown since I started the company. So if you think about 10 years ago, you know, e-commerce wasn't as accessible as it is now. Anyone can start an online store. Totally. And, and I, it took a few years to get that going. Yeah. And I, I think, too, it's it says a lot about, you know, 
you've told me before about sort of the grassroots start of your company and how, you know, it was totally word of mouth and the Nordic ski community in Vermont sort of seeing these hats and loving them and asking for one and you sort of bringing them. And I think, you know, that kind of speaks to the strong sort of online presence you have too, because there was a community already there. Yeah, that's, that's a fun line to draw. I, the community, the internet side of the, of our company or our brand's expansion has just been totally unpredictable and something we're always, always, we're always scratching our heads around it. Sometimes it's, it flourishes and sometimes it doesn't and it's got a mind of its own for sure. Um, when did you know that this actually could be a company or how you wanted to maybe make a living, <laughs> right? I mean, because if I recall, it was sort of you went to events, Nordic events, and, and other team members and other teams wanted to get it. Like, was it a conscious decision or did you just drift into it? Like, how did you know you had enough con- enough there there to, to go for it? Well, I there wasn't. I have a hard time identifying like a, a pivotal moment in which in my mind I saw Skeeta go from a kitchen table project to a business. Um, I think of, I mean, I guess back in those days, our hats were essentially a commodity in a way where it was just a matter of getting more, not necessarily a commodity, it was it was so much more fun than that at that time. But um, before taking on a staff and creating a headquarters and really those to me are like the foundations of a business. And for so long it was, um, kind of abstract from that and a lot of it was done on the internet and um, so much back end to get materials and we were contracting out the sewing and fulfilling projects or orders ourselves and it was there were so many moving pieces and I think as soon as it all came together in Burlington five years ago that was kind of a definitely a pivotal moment for it but I think even going to its early stages when I started at Middlebury I took a a uh, one-month-long kind of workshop tutorial style of class called Mid-Entrepreneurs. And I learned how to uh, create a five-year plan and look at what it is, you know, what problem are you solving with your idea. And my idea at this point was a couple years baked, but um, I hadn't worked on those kind of fundamentals and the, built the foundation for what a business can be. So looking at what our product offers people and you know what's an elevator pitch and the 101 to starting a business. Um, I feel lucky enough to have kind of had my idea gain momentum and then kind of loop back around and figure out the foundation and um, kind of the pillars of what the business That's is That's so on. cool you said that. You, you, you know we teach that course now, right? <laughs> Do you recall that? Okay. <laughs> we just finished our sixth year now teaching yeah. mid-entrepreneurs. Yeah. Uh, and what a badass group of students this year, Sam. I oh, my mean, God, I know. We have, like, four of them now that are you know, raising money, making sales, like, yeah. hiring people. If you have it's the idea and then amazing. you learn the tools, it's anything's possible. And I think Middlebury College has really ad- adopted that mentality with different programs and summer grants and their alumni connections. Mm-hmm. I, I give them huge props for supporting, you know, these ideas. It might not be the right one, but, you know, you're going to learn something along the way, so... And I think, you know, what you said about having this idea and and having it kind of gain momentum before getting into a lot of the details of it is so important, especially because entrepreneurship is so hot right now. And folks are like, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. And and they say that before they have any type of idea. And you can sort of tell the ones that have gained momentum before they start to make it a business. I think it kind of, you know, 
it's pretty obvious. It goes along with that fire analogy that I've spoken I about to you. Love your fire analogy. Share it, would you please? Well, first of all, thank you for coming and speaking at our female founders event last year. Um, it was awesome. Um, we just concluded season two, two. yeah on Monday. Wow. And what is it, Sam? What are they, like twenty five women We've have had shared. 25 female founders speak, which has been awesome. Wow. Yeah. But uh, when Corinne was uh, one of our speakers, she kind of gave the analogy of Skeeta, like building a fire. Do you uh, want to get into yeah. that? Oh, I told you this one. So there's yeah. two ways to you build. You came with slides too, right? No, I didn't have slides. Okay, all right. I, I had uh, remnants of type. the flu. And <laughs> That's what it was. I knew deep, you came with something. A deep cough. Came with a contagion. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, no, my, I love the fire analogy. Because I think it really accurately portrays um, just the differences in what it takes to start, the different ways to start a business, especially now when we have um, great organizations like yours to supply, to provide capital and resources. And it's all about how you use the resources. And um, the, the way, so when you start a fire, there are two ways to start a fire. You can start with some small twigs and kindling and little bits of brush or paper whatever you have kind of around and you build a little teepee with it and maybe you got some pine needles and you light a match and you're, you're kind of gently blowing on it to get a little bit of a spark going and hopefully some things will catch flame and then as it gets bigger you can put on some more sizable sticks and kind of get your teepee structure stronger and then by, when it comes time to put down a bigger log it really fuels it and catches on and and all of a, and you've got yourself a pretty good campfire. Um, and the other strategy to building your backyard fire is uh, you know you pile you get all your sticks, you've got maybe some brush that you've been storing and um, you've you've got a lot of logs on there and you build up this big mound um, of burnables and then you douse it with kerosene and you light a match and it all it all takes a flame and it'll burn but the longevity of that fire may be different than a more uh, a stronger campfire with the the former approach. Plus, you lose your eyebrows generally, <laughs> right? With that flash, it can be really intense. <laughs> Love the imagery there. I'm just I'm in a different place now. Hey, can, you, can you tell us what Skeeta Plus One is and why yeah. why, it, why it's awesome? For sure, uh, Skeeta Plus One is our donation program to cancer centers around the country. We have 10 participating cancer centers. And we started the program in 2011. And I remember being really inspired by Blake Mikowski and the Tom story, which was definitely catching a fire in terms of kind of a popular buzz concept within the entrepreneurial startup world. Um, and that was creating a strand of social responsibility within kind of a, a growing business. And I was inspired by the use of our hats for chemo patients going undergoing chemotherapy. Um, they were preferring our hats because they're super soft, fleece lining was really warm and cozy, and the colorful outsides are cheerful and bright and add a little bit of pop to your day. Um, so we, I remember through family, friends, and friends of Skeeta in our early years, we were able to provide hats kind of on a case-by-case basis when uh, we heard of someone in need. And uh, there was a gentleman by the name of Bill Singer whose wife was undergoing chemotherapy at Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center. And he reached out to me one summer, which was 
kind of a quiet time for us and asked if he'd be able to buy a dozen of hats, a dozen hats to go to the cancer center for his wife and the other women that were undergoing treatment. And that was, to me, the best way to, uh, you know, scale that up. And I'd really been wanting to figure out how to get more hats out there. So we reached out to the nurse uh, contact that he provided, and we set up. They were Dartmouth-Hitchcock was the first receiving center. And the way it works is you enter a promo code. In the case of Dartmouth-Hitchcock, it's DHMC, and we donate a hat uh, for each uh, order online order that's placed with that promo code. Awesome. So cool. Awesome. So it's a fun way to enable people to contribute. If you buy a headband, you can still enter the code. If you buy 10 hats over Christmas, you can still enter a code. Is the UVM Medical Center We have the UVM, yeah, and we also have the Pediatric Center, and there's a number. Majority of the centers are throughout Vermont, and then we go as far out as Vail, Colorado. What's the UVM code, just because uh, we have a bunch of listeners? All right, we don't have that many, but... UVMMC? <laughs> UVMMC? UVMMC, maybe? Uh, it's four digits. Mm. Mm. You can check online at skeeta.com backslash skeeta yeah, right, plus right. one. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll get that. We'll, we'll uh, add that in, Taylor. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry for the trick question. I need to give you some more work. <laughs> okay, I love that. So you've made the Skeeta products here in Vermont through a network of contract stitchers is that that was the early days is that still the current case and correct like, and how do you manage or how do you how do you find and assemble this this crew we've worked with a group out of northeast kingdom since gosh 2010 yeah wow. so it's been about eight years and they've been able to scale with us they have had a lot of experience working uh, on a factory floor and uh, managing production for other companies um, in the Northeast Kingdom when right. when that was more of a hub for apparel production. You know, Louis Garneau is based there, Bogner, um, a lot of great. It has a great history with manufacturing, especially in the Newport area. A lot of those manufacturers have unfortunately gone overseas and um, placed out of business. And or the brands have taken the business out of out of their facilities, and so there's a lot of skilled labor. Um, and at, you know, a few years ago, this was more prevalent, but and that shift was happening pretty recently. So we were able to get into a, a network with a really great group of people who take quality really seriously and really value quality work, and um, they've. They just always deliver. It's pretty incredible what they're able to do. So at what point in your business did you have to go from you hand-stitching these or your family hand-stitching these to sort of outsourcing it to the stitchers in the North When I was applying to college, that was kind of a clear uh, (laughs) elimination of my time and just the resources that we had and um, that we needed to find some help for sure. Yeah. So while I was in high school, it was early on that we started began the the search. Good, yeah, and haven't looked back. When's the last time you stitched something? <laughs> uh, we actually just brought a sewing machine into the office because we need to stitch some labels, and um, <laughs> I kind of look at it and chuckle because it's been a really really long time. <laughs> we we asked that of Mike Lane, one of the Dealer dot com founders. We're like, when's the last time you coded? And he's just sort of embarrassed. He's like, I don't remember. 
Yeah. She goes, I'm not good enough anymore to code for a company. So yeah. Sorry, Mike. It's yeah. nice to know how to sew. I, I appreciate that I have that background. And so I'm able to look at, you know, maybe some potential new products and things that I'd like to make in the future um, for Skeeta. And it's, I really appreciate having that knowledge because it's kind of hard to create when you don't know or have right. the sewing and to knitting's keep. in too, right? Knitting's like, a big who one. Was the dude, what was the team that the, the guy at the top of the snowboard events was? I think it was one of the coaches was just knitting while what? his his athlete was going down the half pipe or the. I missed course. that. It was in the it, Olympics. It, yeah, it was. Wow. Uh, it was a thing. I missed that. It was very controversial. <laughs> very. Sometimes it's a stress reliever. Um, it stressed out the television audience. No one knew what was going on, right? But I, <sighs> I think funny. it worked. Whatever works for you. My hands are too sweaty to knit. TMI, Sam. Is it though? <laughs> Come on. A little bit, a little bit. So you have a retail space in Burlington on Pine Street. Yeah. What's it like having the world walk in the door? Like, <laughs> what are the pros and cons of putting a retail front on your wholesale and your direct? business oh my gosh it's added so much to our business without detracting it was we've we've been looking at it now more because it's our third season with our own retail space and we've also had retailers right down the road two blocks away grow with us as well over the last three years so it's definitely not taking anything away it's allowing people from out of town to come and visit and see you know give them a little bit more of an impression of what Skeeta is and where our home base is, so that's been really fun to share. Um, but we've been the most that that business channel has been the most surprising um, and kind of shockingly successful uh, for their brand without requiring. It's just enabling us to to showcase what's new. It's right there. All of our fulfillment is being packed and shipped in the room next door. So to bring products out and show it to people that are brand new is really, really sweet. And That's cool, right? Get a lot of feedback. And yeah, and it's fun to have a little bit of everything. So if people come in, they can. we have a lot of prints that might be a little older but new to a lot of people. And um, we have new prints for the folks that have been following along and want to come to see what... Which just hit the do shelves. you have folks that are like you know buying the new print every year? I mean, do you do you see that sort I of repeat? I hope so. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, that's really exciting for me because I look around. Whenever I see Skeeta in the wild, I'm thinking, I, I see a print and I know exactly when we brought it to market. Um, you know where it came from. I have a lot of emotional attachment to every design that goes through and. Um, it's pretty funny to see it out in the context and wonder who's wearing it, what are they doing, what else are they wearing, where are they going? <laughs> what is your uh, all-time favorite print? Do you have one? No. No? Right now I'm really crazy about the strawberries. The strawberries are sweet. I haven't been able to take it off. It's It works with everything. Strawberries work with pink. everything. Yeah, I love it's it. very pink. It's, I didn't. Yeah, I don't usually wear a lot of pink, but yeah. this is just the perfect. I think that's kind of what's kind of great about it. It's very it's, happy. It's so happy. Totally. Are you still the sole designer, or have you sort of brought other design oh, talent I've worked, in? I've been really lucky to have a lot of good talent and folks that want to be involved and. Um, have brought in work from other illustrators and have worked collaboratively with some. And I'm still able to throw in my designs here and there. Um, I'm still curating it all and, um, you know, oversee all the designs that go through. And we build these collections and make sure we have a nice, 
you know, variety of prints, and uh, we try to have something for everybody. So it's it's hard to have that, but also have a consistent style where so, someone can look at a hat and say, "Oh, that's Skeeta. That's a Skeeta print." And you do that very well. Still, thank you. Yeah, it's the yeah. prints can be so different, and like you said, there's something for everyone, but it's so obviously Skeeta still, which is really cool. That's great feedback. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, totally. I mean. Someone like I could recognize it right at the Olympics mm-hmm. when when uh, yeah. Jesse and Keegan had. I was like, "Whoa, that's awesome!" Yeah. Look, we're on television. Vermont's on TV. Kind <laughs> yeah. of thing, right? on TV. We all we when Vermont's all on share TV. It, yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> pretty cool. Yeah. Um, speaking of the world and global things, um, <laughs> tell us about your cashmere line and and Nepal and working with folks there. Oh, that's been really, really fun. Yeah. It's been a really cool learning experience um, starting something like that from scratch while kind of already being amidst, you know, a few years of growth with Skeeta and what it's like to, I've been learning what it's like to introduce something new and um, it's been, yeah, I don't know where to start. <laughs> the product is really awesome. I'm wearing one now. So yeah, just describe the products. Um, so we do Please. a line of really fine knits and woven scarves. So knit hats, woven shawls. This year we released a poncho, which has been kind of my pet project. And uh, it's been really fun to add this kind of complementary product line of still headwear and accessories, but um, the fibers are different. It's a completely different product, but I've been really enjoying kind of designing new colors and styles that work with our patterns and the idea is that they're complementary and you kind of have a little bit of a active wear sports uh, option with our Vermont collection all the way into something more urban or lifestyle and apres as they call it um, with our knits so that's been really fun to offer kind of a wide variety of options and I'm love the opportunity to travel back to Nepal is so prized and I really appreciate that so it's been really fun to have find a purpose in traveling there um, repeatedly and every time I go back I kind of get, dive a little deeper into the the country and the culture and the connections that I've made and the relationships keep getting stronger and I've one of the factories that we've worked with that we continue to work with I met when I was a student um, studying abroad there uh, six years, in 2011, seven years ago. And the gentleman that gave me the tour, he was a little younger, he gave me the tour of their factory and I did an interview with them and was just doing a lot of research for my uh, study abroad project. And now he's been, he's been still with the family business and he's now our account manager and I'm now buying products. So So it's been really cool to, every time I go back, we get to, you know, he'll show me some cool restaurant that he likes in Kathmandu and, you know, it's, it's just fun. been really fun to have something like that kind of grow over time. And uh, it just puts a lot in perspective. I bet this podcast, you know, we see where the podcast goes around the world. And I'm, I'm waiting for Nepal to pop up as a big... A few listens in Kathmandu. Yeah, a few listens, right? We have Tunisia. Tunisia <laughs> is on the map because I volunteered there a couple of years ago. Wow. In a project. So, Sam, you Very need to get cool. out in the world and travel somewhere. You heard it first here, Corinne. Okay, so next time I ask for like three weeks off to go explore the world, that's a yes, I think. Boom! Bring Skeeta <laughs> and the podcast with you. Right? Perfect, we'll do. Okay, let's. Um, how many employees do you have today? Currently, so we have a mix of seasonal roles because we have our retail store, which is 
busy in the winter um, and we have a lot of fulfillment needs in their busy time. So we have anywhere from seven to a dozen folks working at our headquarters this time of year. That's cool. And then you as the, the leader, where have you, you know, had your, your tougher challenges, right, in terms of scaling uh, the business and as a leader? Has it been, you know, the human resources side of things or finances? And just sort of curious what those, uh, I don't know, those hurdles look like and maybe how you, how you got through them. We've been really lucky to have... The, prob- the the challenges that we face are commonly referred to as growing pains, and I can't complain about it, obviously, because that's a pretty great problem to have. But a lot of times the question is, how much do we try to grow, and how big do we want to get, and um, what do we need to make that happen? And a lot of times it's a mix between planning and then jumping on opportunities that come our way and also just being being able to be small and nimble and reactive to things that happen like a really bad winter a couple years ago where you guys probably remember that it just didn't snow and a lot of ski resort retailers had a lot of trouble and with selling product and so did we and that was kind of hard for everybody it definitely pulled for I noticed in in my network it definitely pulled the ski industry closer especially in New England and um, I've been really appreciative to be part of that it is a community just like most ski related ventures and kind of um nooks can be uh between you know ski racing and nordic skiing and the ski industry is just as tight-knit and communal and um a really great group of people so um Navigating the weather is a challenge when you're a weather-dependent product. Do you have we have more summer products or you know wet yeah, weather we, we do designs? Have, we do have uh, seasonal, you know, all-season products, lightweight headbands and um, neckwear, things that are really great for backpacking. And um, you know, in Colorado, it gets cold at night, so we're definitely year-round in a lot of our SKUs. But in terms of just our popularity and really flexing for the winter and really getting getting geared up for that seasonality has been probably the greatest challenge and it's a really fun one it's like a puzzle figuring out how we kind of ebb and flow for those high volume months and um you know how our team is really flexible and everybody knows that's our flow and it's it's been really fun to dial that in so how do you guys stay competitive? I mean, there's obviously a lot of hats out there, a lot of headwear out there, um, but you guys seem to be just kind of killing it and coming up with new stuff. But what's kind of on the horizon, and how are you sort of staying ahead of that? Definitely focusing more on the patterns and bringing unique designs that are eye-catching and signature, and, um, you know, those are those are our differenti- points of differentiation in terms of our product line and design. Um, and that's been really fun to maintain, and there's so much creative opportunity there, and there's a lot that we can do with collaborative work between different artists and brands, and there's a lot on my mind of directions to go there with our patterns. So that's been really fun, and um, I'm excited to that's, – that's the stuff that keeps me really excited and fresh. And, um, and then in terms of, you know, just, you know, maintaining the highest quality f- materials and just being really cognizant of what's available 
on the in the industry right now and making sure that we're offering comparable products but you know we we stay true to what we do and our mission is local production limited edition products and a fresh perspective and that's something that we make sure everything we do kind of loops back around to that and that's been kind of our our train track for the last however many years so definitely that's been working so yeah. if, if it ain't broke don't fix it if it ain't broke don't fix it um <laughs> true vermonter yeah seriously <laughs> right right so let's talk about the f word failure Ooh. yeah i feel like i'm asking the negative question sam am i you just... want me to ask it yeah please yeah so corinne <laughs> and any, <laughs> any big failures anything that really was sort of a misstep and you've learned from gosh or maybe near failures you know I want the capital F once. <laughs> I, you know, there's always little... There, there, we try to catch things before they get too big. You know, obviously we haven't had anything that's taken us off the rails. We're still <laughs> on track. We're still going. Um, but there, there are always challenges, and that's that goes back to the growing pains. And we've been really lucky with having a supportive customer base and really great vendors and companies that we get to work with on a daily basis and um you know i won't consider it a failure if we're still going or you know it's everything we try to be really responsive to things that come up and try to nip things in the bud if it looks like it could be a challenge for us or um just being proactive has been really important but I don't have any. Okay. There are there are kind of like micro things along the way where you're such a positive person. I, 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 sort of, really I was like, she's not gonna, question. she's gonna flip it. It wasn't a failure. I, it was I, a learning I, moment. And it's like, okay, that's cool. Totally, this is your time with us. So whatever, it, whatever it takes. Um, do you have an advisory board or a board? I mean, how do you, who do you go to for advice? Is there a mentor or I know? I have a lot of mentors. I've been really lucky. It's. I think because of what we do is at Skeeda, we cover so many different areas between design and production and, you know, buying raw materials, fulfillments, growing sales and growing sales amongst different sales channels. There's so much that other people are experts in. So it's been really fun to tap into the, that talent and expertise across a whole breadth of topics and subjects that you know, I, I don't have just one mentor for the entire company. There's a lot of a lot of people that I've been. So lucky an to issue work comes with. up on distribution, and you'll say when oh. we were buying, when we were looking into moving into a bigger space, and um, I was able to talk to someone in commercial real estate and um, kind of tap into different people uh, about what it's like to you know sign a six year lease and what does that look like and are we getting the right pricing and. Um, that was a huge learning curve of, okay, we're, we need a bigger space. What does that look like? And um, just kind of running through the motion and uh, learning are, are, along are the Vermonters way. And, are Vermonters, are they pretty open to taking that phone call or helping out that way? Is that something you think is a strength here? Yeah, definitely. I think so, especially on a small scale. And no one's going to – no one steps in to help unless you ask the right questions. Um, that's kind of a broad generalization, but I find that th the best way to get the help is asking really specific questions and really figuring out what we need help with and um, honing it in. And that's always an ongoing challenge of, you know, we're growing. You, again, you don't know what you don't know. And when something comes up that you need help with, um, it's 
there's a lot of really great people and I've been lucky to have a really great network that I can tap into and kind of target the right people with those right. questions and sometimes it takes four people to get to an answer and sometimes you don't find an answer and that just is a question on your list for a couple of years. <laughs> Spoken like a true Forbes 30 under 30. Boom, hello, celebrity in the house. <laughs> yeah. Uh, surprised, not surprised? What's the deal? Were you like, did you see this one coming? Oh, my God. I, I was <laughs> I was traveling at the time. My brother texted me, and he just <laughs> said, I had, I had submitted the, the questionnaire and, and some of the application uh, paperwork, and um, that was like, Four months prior, and I you had moved on. You had forgot about it. I'm sure <laughs> it's like new season. I don't know. I, I, strawberries. Yeah, I wasn't thinking about it. Strawberries. You know? right. Well, you had the concussion too, and you, might not well, even remember. Well, the concussion it, right? was the day after I found out. Oh no! So I was I was mountain biking with my cousins and some friends in California, and um, coincidentally had bumped into um, our. MJ, who does our PR, based in Durango, Colorado, at a campground in Santa Cruz. We were both staying at. No. Of course. Of and course. Yeah, so wild. And we, uh, the next day, we parted ways, and um, I found out that afternoon that we, my brother texted me, and he said, congrats on Forbes. <laughs> and I was like, uh, That's exactly what, what does that my mean? brother so would Googled, have texted me. I just Googled, like, Corinne Prevo Forbes, and nothing really came up, and I was still kind of, I was like, it must be the Because if it's not on Google, thing. it's not true, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I was just looking for it, and uh, finally found the list, and that was just too cool. I was really, really blown away and humbled, and it's pretty yeah. awesome. And then the next day, I hurled myself off. <laughs> <laughs> Got went too fast on my bike. Got oh, a little too excited. No. Be careful out there. Um, and then outside magazine. Now you have a caricature of yourself. Like living the dream here. <laughs> and, and the Start Here podcast. It's like really the trifecta everybody's looking for. It's I don't. True. I don't know. In the outdoor business, anyway. Really yeah. good point, Dave. Really good. Uh, I feel really fortunate. Thank you guys. <laughs> Bless you. No problem. Well, it's so fun. We had Tyler McNanny, who oh, Vsat yeah. started working with back in like 2011 when he first started this thing and we're like, Hey, how'd this come about? He's like, I don't know. I thought it was spam. <laughs> <laughs> so almost like dismissed the whole invitation. Well, it's funny. Thing. It's like fill out this Google form. That's what they You know, somebody reaches out and they say, you've been nominated. Here's a Google form. And it does feel very like disconnected from Forbes. Forbes. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Right. There was no, it was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Even Forbes uses Google forms. Yeah. Google's taking over, taking over the world. Yeah, but they're never going to make awesome headwear and accessories. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. So and actually, they've been really, cri- really yeah. criticized about sort of their design element for various products. So, mm-hmm. More Corinne. Okay. College student entrepreneurs. Just one or two short pieces of advice. Um. Advice or learnings? <laughs> or, or warnings or, you know, uh, stay in college, get your degree or not? I mean, it depends on what you're, who you are, what you're doing. When I, when I went on this, I was invited to a conference in Austin, Texas by Forbes in 2011 for um, a student entrepreneur feature. There was 10 of us, and we, I was 
10 entrepreneurs and one gal who was moonlighting as a VC, a student VC in, at Stanford, so in the Bay Area. And I was, other than, other than, uh, what, was her, her, what was her name? Hang on. Concussion. <laughs> um, other than Ernestine, we were, we were the only gals in the group. And there were a whole slew of ages represented in different styles of business. And we met with Michael Dell, who famously didn't finish school and went on to create Dell Computers. And we had a roundtable discussion on what it is to be a student entrepreneur and whether you can teach entrepreneurship. And this is also 2011, and we're in 2018 now. So crazy that I'm able to like look back at things seven years ago. Seriously. But the tools and resources that are available for students at col in colleges to pursue ideas extracurricularly are pretty developed at this point. Totally. And um, colleges are very open and accepting of it. Not all, but a lot of them are coming around to facilitating those ideas. And I think that I had mixed feelings about it because I remember thinking, well, you can't really teach, you can't teach entrepreneurship, but you can provide resources for someone to take an idea to the next level. And I think there's kind of a balance between fostering that mindset of kind of do it yourself, figure it out, figure what you need, figure out what you need to make an idea happen, I think is kind of the underlying basis. You know, understanding how to, what a P&L statement looks like and how to manage cash flow is one of those tools that's pretty critical, but you can't manage a cash flow if you don't have an idea that's bringing in revenue. Right. So there's a lot of there's a lot of different um, elements to it. But um, okay, back to the original question: advice for student entrepreneurs. It, I think, whatever idea you have, you really have to stick with it because it all starts really, really small, and it's good for something to start really small because. That's how you test those ideas, and it goes back to that fire analogy where you don't know what works until you try it on a micro level, and then you can, you know, when you have success or that flame kind of catches on, then you can start adding more sticks and logs to it. But, you know, you can smother an idea or go in a wrong, a different direction too quickly. So my advice is often to start small and not be afraid to start small. That's just kind of a more ta uh, manageable start to something and follow your gut too yeah, yeah like. for sure the intuition is really scary and really honest sometimes but you can't fight it it's that's something I've definitely I don't know that's always it's always a tool for you is your your gut your gut right <laughs> totally. well I think it's such an awesome time to be a little fearless in college and whether it's the faculty the parents of current students students or the alumni, they so much want to engage with student entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. I mean, as fun as it is to make a donation to support deferred maintenance of the physical plant, the joy you get from that, right? Yeah. Versus the joy of taking a meeting and helping a young entrepreneur and help her figure out, you know, how to make a sale in a Macy's or to how to get a production agreement. Um, it's there for the asking, and I yeah. think more and more are doing that, which is makes me encouraged. Totally. And it's cool to see students having ideas outside of their regular classwork and outside of the information that's being fed to them 
to be able to kind of step outside of that. And it's hard at a place like Middlebury where your course load is huge. And depending on what you know track you're in or what field of study you're in, it can be really hard to kind of step outside of that and pursue something completely different. Or maybe it is you know tied into your studies. I felt really lucky to be able to find ways to apply what I was learning in classes, particularly sociology and geography. I was able to you know, use the context of the Northeast Kingdom or Skeeta or um, I was looking, I was spending a lot of time looking at outdoor recreation as a means of economic development and Super looked cool. at looked at the Northeast Kingdom as a, as a uh, specific place because it was one that I was familiar with and I was working with people in the area and it was close by and um, that was a way, it was also kind of tied into Skeeta and um, kind of indirectly, and was it provided a, an application to, you know, put put a lot of theories and things I was learning to some sort of context. What, what was your major? I was a joint sociology and geography major. Yeah, we don't we That's we, we don't really see a, a lot of those not really a, coming not really in the thing. door. We need more of that. <laughs> um, more. And I will say too, we were just up in Lindenville. Well, just maybe before this, when we weren't getting any snow, we could go travel yeah. places. Uh, and they've got a new innovation center. Oh, that's too cool. Co-working going. And Nygaard up at the college, a local entrepreneur. And Evan Carlson. Yep. And it's in the former Dairy Association, the Bag Bomb Building. Yeah. Oh, it is awesome. Totally awesome. So now there's a place to work. Work when we go mountain bike up there <laughs> and for folks that are living there to sort of gather and create and yeah. I'm, I'm really this this one's going to happen and work That's I just awesome. need to pick a name Sam I don't think they had it named totally. yet right? we'll have to ask Evan today he's swinging by oh we have yeah. a visitor we have a visitor oh cool okay Can we have to wrap this up alright yes Corinne if you had a magic wand what is one thing you would change about Vermont more snow more snow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like longer season or just more snow during a shorter like season? February. Just all of February. Just yeah. Do away with the thaw. Yeah, no more thaw. Yeah, it was, was I pretty I would just brutal. magic wand the thaw right out of it. It was Kill grim. all the ticks. Kill all the ticks. Yeah, right. Seriously. <laughs> Lay down more powder days like yesterday. Yeah, that's a good one. Dave agrees, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, I'm- I'm speechless because uh, I think if you asked me in July, I'd have a different answer. But <laughs> yeah, because right, we're right, right. <laughs> drier mountain biking conditions, right? That's what we need. So yeah. awesome. fantastic! Uh, this has been Start Here with Sam and Dave, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. The series has been made possible by the Vermont Technology Council and Consolidated Communications. Follow us on Twitter at VSET. That's V C E T. Thanks for listening, and let's get back to work. Ciao.